you some announcements uh, very quickly. Uh, the, uh, the first is that uh, the men's Bible study has resumed. Uh, that is taking place on Saturday morning, uh, 7.30 to 9 a.m., walking through the uh, book of Philippians. Uh, and so if you, uh, if you need any information or want to be a part of that, uh, please see uh, Eric Pigman, who's in the back, or come see me, and I'll point you uh, uh, to the, the right person. Another quick announcement is that next uh, week, after the service, there will be a women's uh, fellowship luncheon. Uh, so it's just a time uh, for ladies just to come together, uh, uh, just enjoy each other's company. Um, and the, the theme is, uh, the, uh, is uh, godly, not godliness, uh, friendships uh, as a means of grace, although godliness is a good topic. Uh, but um, if you are a member or just, uh, or just someone who is attending, uh, you are welcome to, to come to that next week. Again, that's after the service um, next week. And also, just wanted to quickly remind you that on uh, Sunday mornings from 9 to 10 a.m. Uh, is a Bible study walking through the book of Genesis. Uh, anyone is welcome uh, to attend that. And so we are here to worship the Lord Jesus uh, this morning. And you know that... Uh, that, uh, that it does take uh, faith uh, to come uh, each week. It takes faith to come in anticipation, uh, to receive something from the Lord. It takes faith to come with expectation, to hear from God's word. And it takes faith to come on Sunday mornings and to worship the Lord Jesus because his word tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please him. So if you are here this morning and maybe you find your faith uh, small, your faith weak, your faith uh, sort of in the midst of struggle. I hope that you will still uh, worship uh, with God's people this morning, that you will uh, join your heart uh, and your mind to, to worship the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. My prayer and hope is that we would all uh, be encouraged, that our faith will be emboldened, that our faith will be strengthened, and our faith would be sustained so that we would receive all that we need as we go about the rest of our day, the rest of our week, until we come uh, again next week, Lord willing. So let's go to the Lord and let's worship Him this morning. Amen. Amen. Uh, church, let's stand. Um, and let us be encouraged also by the Word um, uh, this morning um, in our faith. Uh, the, the Word of God says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes it makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Let's do that together, church. Amen. Let's exalt his name.
continue in worship. Let's sing on to him, church. Let's sing. Come behold the wondrous mystery in the dawning of the King. Be the theme of heaven's praises, rolled in brand humanity. And in our now into your word. May we be encouraged. May we be edified, Lord. In our faith, Lord, may we uh, look to you, Father. Uh, 
God, in all these things, we, we thank you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, you may be seated. Many of you know we normally go into a time of prayer, and during that prayer we will go through uh, several different categories of things that we pray for, and we normally conclude with, uh, with the Lord's Prayer, and I, though I, I do think that it is uh, good for the church to have a sort of a regular rhythm or, or pattern, uh, specifically with regards uh, to prayer, just the order of worship, I think it is good for the church to uh, recite the Lord's Prayer, not so, as some sort of incantation, but uh, as a prayer of faith, a prayer that comes with a heart of faith that draws near to the Lord and prays the Lord's Prayer uh, with, uh, an intentional, with, an, with an intentionality uh, that, uh, that desires for the Lord uh, to, to honor uh, such a prayer. But I also do think that it is good at times, uh, not just for the sake of variety, but to uh, to pray uh, written prayers. I don't think there's anything wrong or inherently bad about writing out one's prayers and praying those prayers. I don't think it's inherently bad to, uh, to pray someone else's prayers. And so for this morning, I'd like to, uh, to share a prayer written by a Puritan that uh, I hope uh, that we can sort of uh, pray together. And by praying together, I mean just uh, affirm that if you agree with the words of this prayer, that if you desire for the Lord uh, to answer the requests that are made in this particular prayer, that you would, that you in your, whether it's in your heart, whether it's in a whisper, whether it's out loud, just affirm and say amen. But regardless, uh, I pray that, I hope that we can join our hearts uh, and pray uh, this prayer together. So if you would, would you join me as we transition time of prayer. Our God, we bless you that you have given us the eye of faith to see you as Father, to know you as a covenant God, to experience your joy planted in us. For faith is the grace of union by which we spell out our entitlement to you. Faith casts our anchor upwards where we trust in you and engage you to be our Lord. Lord, be pleased to live and move within us, breathing in our prayers, inhabiting our praises, speaking in our words, moving in our actions, living in our life, causing us to grow in grace. Your bounteous goodness has helped us believe, but our faith is weak and wavering, its light dim, its steps tottering, its increase slow, its backslidings frequent. It should scale the heavens, but lies groveling in the dust. Lord, fan this divine spark into glowing flame. When faith sleeps, our heart becomes an unclean thing, the fount of every loathsome desire, the cage of unclean lusts, all fluttering to escape. 
the noxious tree of deadly fruits, the open wayside of earthly tares. Lord, awake faith to put forth its strength until all heaven fills our soul and all impurity is cast out. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. If you would, please turn to the Gospel of John. We are in John 20 this morning. And we're picking up in verse 19 and reading down to verse 31. In the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. And see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen, and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, we pray this morning as we look to you, as we look to your word, Lord, help us to exercise our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. For Jesus is the Son of God. For Jesus is our life. Lord, would you encourage our faith this morning? Would you help us? Would you strengthen our faith? Lord, we pray for anyone who's here this morning and has yet to profess faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray 
that they may not be like Thomas, who would not believe in the Lord Jesus. We pray that you would grant the gift of faith this morning. We trust you for these things. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Pastor John Piper, I once heard a story that he's related many times before about a professor who had a, a student who asked about scientific observation, and so the professor gave him a jar with a fish and asked him, I want you to look and observe the fish and then relate back to me what you see. So the professor goes away, the, the student looks at the fish, ten minutes goes by, he thinks he's discovered everything, so he tries to find the professor, he can't find the professor, so 30 minutes, an hour, two hours go by, and he's still looking at the fish. The professor comes back, he tells, asks, what have you found? And the student says, well, I, they, here's, here's my description, here's what I found, they, they, they scale the, the fins, uh, the lidless eyes, and the professor was disappointed. It's like, you haven't discovered the most obvious features of the fish, look again. The student was miserable. He didn't want to continue in this task, but he wanted to please his professor, so he continued to observe the fish over and over again. And this continued on for three days. The, the professor kept telling him, look, 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 observe. And gradually, over time, the student began to observe, the, notice these different things about the fish, things that he had never noticed before. It's kind of the, the treasure that is found when you take the time to carefully observe things. So coming off of uh, doing a series called Walking Through the, the uh, Psalms, I want to take the next several weeks and, took a, and take a look, a close look at the topic of faith. Faith is central to the Christian life. I mean, faith is foundational. Without faith, right, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, you cannot receive salvation. Faith is what sustains us. Faith itself is our life. So what I want to do over the next several weeks is take a close look at the topic of faith through several books in the Bible, beginning with the Gospel of John, looking at faith according to the, to the letter of Paul to the Romans, faith according to the book of Thessalonians and other books, and to see these different, the different things, the different things that the, that the Scriptures teach us concerning the topic of faith. So this morning we're looking at faith according to the Gospel of John. And when we take a close look at the Gospel of John with a particular eye to the subject of faith, one of the first things that we see is the object of faith. So in John chapter 3, verse 16, familiar passage, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Numerous times of the gospel of John, Jesus, when he's, when he's presenting himself, as someone to believe him, he will always, he will, many times he will talk about himself being one who is sent. 
that to believe in him is to believe in the one who sent him. He says this numerous times throughout the Gospel of John. And we see this in John 3.16 and in verse 17, that God gave his son into the world, that God sent his son into the world. And in the Gospel of John, when we think about God sending his son, his being sent, Jesus being sent, speaks to his purpose and it speaks to his identity. His being sent speaks to his purpose. What is the purpose of Jesus Christ? John 3.16 tells us the purpose of Jesus Christ is to give salvation, to give eternal life to whoever will believe in him. Not to everyone without exception, but only to those who believe. It's to give eternal life. It's to bring salvation. John 6.38, Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And what is the will of the one who sent him? This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The will of God is to send the Son into the world so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So that is his purpose in his being sent in the world, but his sent also speaks to his identity. Again, John 3.16 is helpful in clarifying that for us because it tells us that God sent his Son. God gave his Son to the world. In the passage we just read in John 6.38, Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven. In John 15, verse 17, one of the most explicit statements that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John, Jesus, speaking to the religious teachers, says, My Father is working until now, and I am working. And then in verse 18, we have this sort of this editorial comment from the author of the Gospel of, of this Gospel. Or it tells us this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Jesus, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. The problem was not that Jesus was saying that God is his Father. I mean, all the Jews considered themselves to be sons of God. But Jesus took it a step further. Maybe, actually, maybe a million steps further and he's claiming eternality with God. He's saying that he is co-equal with God. And it's for this reason that the religious teachers intended to kill Jesus. It was blasphemous that such a man will claim equality with God. But this is exactly what Jesus is saying when he says that I have come down from heaven to do the will of him who sent me. A thorough study of the Gospel of John teaches us that to believe in Jesus is also to believe in God, is to believe in the one who sent God. You cannot believe in God and not believe in Jesus. Neither can you believe in Jesus and not believe in God. Jesus has come down from heaven, he says, to do the will of the Father. He is sent by God. He is given by God to the world like a king who sent his 
his son, a prince, into a foreign country as his representative, where the prince can only speak the words of his father, the king. And to dismiss the words of the prince or to disbelieve the words of the prince is to disbelieve or be dismissive towards the words of the king. And to dishonor the prince is to dishonor the king. And to dishonor the king only invites the wrath of the king. So we can, when we consider the staggering statements of the Gospel of John, especially when Jesus makes these statements about his identity, his coming from God, his being sent from, from God, that he is the, he's the son of God, that he is co-equal with God, it teaches us that the object of faith is none other than the person of Jesus Christ. John chapter 20, verse 30. When we're studying any book of the Bible, when we are carefully looking and observing any particular book of the Bible, it's helpful for us to try to discern what is the overarching purpose or purposes in that particular book. What's helpful about the Gospel of John is that you don't have to do much study or observing. He explicitly tells you what it is. You just have to wait and read long enough to get there because it's towards the end of the book. But in John 20, verse 30, tells us the purpose. Now, Jesus did many other signs of the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What's been carefully put together it's all driving to this overarching purpose so that the reader may not just read the gospel, but that so that they may have this view of Jesus Christ, so that they may see, so that they may look, so that they may observe the person of Jesus Christ and believe in him and have life in his name. You need to the gospel of John are the I am statements that Jesus makes about himself. For example, Jesus says that he is the bread of life that is given to the world so that anyone who eats of this bread will live forever. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I am the door. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, taking a title from the Old Testament. For example, in Psalm 23, a title ascribed to only God alone. The Lord is my shepherd, right? I shall not want. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus says, I am the true vine. And one of the most scandalous statements that Jesus makes about himself is when he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. In other words, there is two ways to heaven. There isn't three ways to heaven. We're not universalists that everybody goes to heaven, that you can believe what you, can, what you want to believe, you can feel whatever way you feel, that all of your good works accounts for something in the grand scheme of eternity. No, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and that no one can see the Father except through me. And we see these seven signs in the Gospel of John. Surely, as John writes, he's done many other signs, but some were carefully selected for a reason. Seven of them. Seven of them. Jesus turning water into wine. 
showing that he is the divine bridegroom who has come into the world to take his bride, the church, with him. Jesus cleanses the temple. Jesus heals the official son. Jesus heals the lame man at the pool. Jesus heals or, or feeds 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish, showing that he is the greater Moses, that while the Israelites wandering in the wilderness, God through Moses gave them manna from heaven. Jesus is the manna from heaven that gives eternal life to all who will believe in him. Jesus heals the man born blind. And the climax of all the signs, Jesus raising dead Lazarus back to life. See, all of these signs, all of these words, all of these statements that Jesus makes is intended to show us that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God who's come from heaven to earth to give salvation to all those who believe. And when we take these statements, when we take these signs, and we take everything that the gospel says about Jesus Christ, is that the object of our faith is the person of Jesus Christ, and such faith has no low view of Jesus. That Jesus isn't just a good teacher. That Jesus isn't just this good person. That Jesus isn't just a prophet. That Jesus isn't just this person who was especially filled with the Spirit of God. Those are all low views of the person of Jesus Christ, but genuine faith in the person of Jesus Christ accepts nothing less than a high view of Jesus Christ, that he is the Son of God who's come down from heaven to give eternal life to all those who will believe in him. C.S. Lewis writes in Mere Christianity, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. The Gospel of John goes to great lengths to show us that faith in the person of Jesus Christ is where our faith should rest. That our faith rests in the Son of God who's come down from heaven to give life to all those who would believe in him. The beginning and the end of faith is in Christ and in Christ alone who is the Son of God who brings salvation. When it comes to faith, faith, of course, has an object. Not any, just not any particular person, not any destination, not a fixed period of time somewhere in the future, but faith must rest in the person of Jesus Christ. 
nature of faith is that faith itself is a choice, an affectionate choice. Well, at the same time, Ephesians tells us that faith is a gift, and we'll talk about that when we get to the book of Ephesians. But nevertheless, it is a choice. John 3, 18. Everybody loves John 3, 16, right? Even secularists, even non-believers, John loves John 3, 16. Oprah Winfrey loves John 3, 16. But nobody ever reads what comes after John 3, 16. John 3, 18 says, Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned. Praise the Lord. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does, not, everyone who does wicked things hates the light. It does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. Again, John 3.16, God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world. Why is that? Because the world is already condemned. Because the world does not believe in the name of the only son of God. But there's a choice here that when the light comes into the world, who is Jesus Christ, that those who are in darkness, that those who are not believers, they reject the light and they don't just feel sort of flippant about the darkness, but no, it actually tells us that they love the darkness rather than the light. There's an embracing of the darkness and a rejection of Jesus Christ. It's a willful and conscious decision. And we see other examples of a conscious decision on, on several examples in the gospel of people choosing and embracing and loving the Lord Jesus Christ. The man who was born blind, for example, who was cast out of the synagogue because the Pharisees, the religious teachers, believe that he's lying about his being healed. And Jesus finds him out of the synagogue and says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man says, sir, who is he that I may believe in him? And Jesus says, I am that person. And in that moment, Jesus just doesn't become, is no longer just a sir, because it tells us the man worshipped him. The man born blind but then healed makes a decision to embrace Jesus as his Lord and Savior and falls down and worships him. The response of Thomas, we read that earlier. Thomas made a conscious decision to not believe in the Lord Jesus until he saw him. And then he saw him, and then he says, My Lord and my God. The Samaritan woman, what is conversation with Jesus, believed in Jesus at that moment, made that decision. And then what did she do? She went out to tell all the townsfolk, and they all came and followed her, and they all believed as well. I wonder if you've ever read John chapter 6 and notice the language of John chapter 6. In John 6, 50, Jesus says, This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Talking about himself. In John 6, 53 to 54, Jesus says that, that he is the bread of heaven, that, he, that if anyone eats his flesh and drinks his blood, that they will have eternal life. 
right, taken at face value, it sounds like Jesus is wanting to be cannibalized. But Jesus is speaking figuratively in order to speak spiritual truth. In order to draw out a response. And that response is faith. What Jesus wanted them to do, what Jesus wants us to do, in a way, is to digest him. That Jesus must be in you. This is why Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches, that any branch that is cut off withers and dies. In other words, that our life must be in Jesus, that Jesus is our life. Jesus must be living in us. Colossians 3, 4 says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Why are we putting these things to death? Because Christ will one day return and because Christ living is living in you. And for somebody who has Christ living in them, they are to put to death sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now, now that Christ is living in you, you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of his creator. Here there is no Greek and Jew, doesn't matter what race you're coming from, whether circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. According to the Gospel of John, faith is accepting the fact that you are a sinner in love with the darkness and also consciously aware of your need of salvation and joyfully and willfully giving your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Faith is accepting the fact that according to John chapter 3, the wrath of God hangs over your head as long as you remain in unbelief. But the good news of the gospel is that when you believe in Jesus, when you faith in Jesus, in that moment, you receive eternal life. You receive mercy. You receive grace. You receive adoption as a son and daughter or daughter of God. And so my prayer and hope for you this morning, if you're here and you have yet to profess faith in the, in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would make that decision today to trust in the Lord Jesus as your Savior, as the Son of God, as the one who's come down from heaven to give eternal life to all those who believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus. The Gospel of John speaks to the nature of faith and also speaks to the nature of unbelief. We see this again in the refusal of Thomas, of doubting Thomas, his refusal to believe in the Lord Jesus. 
even after his disciple or the, his fellow disciples, his fellow friends told him that Christ had risen from the grave. We see this again in John chapter 3, this embracing of the darkness and this rejection of the Lord Jesus. In John 5, verse 44, Jesus speaking to the religious teachers, he says to them, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? In John 12, 42, another of John's comments, speaking about the religious authorities, it says, nevertheless, in John 12, 42, nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in Jesus, but... For fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. These religious teachers, right, some wanted to make the decision to believe and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. But they didn't. Why? Because they loved glory. They loved praise. They loved recognition. They loved themselves too much to give themselves to Christ. You may not be in the same kind of position as the Pharisees. We're in a position where people are looking to us and perhaps admiring us like many people did towards the religious teachers. Nevertheless, I think this still speaks to the human heart. You see, pride is something that is in all our hearts. And pride is an impediment to genuine saving faith. The reason why unbelievers refuse to believe in Jesus is because they desire to do the leading instead of the following. We see this sin in the very beginning. In Genesis, Adam and Eve, God, and Adam and Eve had this intimate, close relationship with one another. God had given them everything. But they still disobeyed. Why? Because they wanted autonomy. They didn't want to, they didn't want to follow. They wanted to lead. They essentially wanted to be God. Isn't that naturally what we want? Or we don't naturally want, we don't want for someone tell us how to live our lives. We want to live our lives according to our standards, according to our ideologies. We want to live our lives like how, however we want. It's pride. And even as believers, even as those who have been regenerated by the Spirit of God through faith in Jesus Christ, we still at times struggle with pride. We don't always want to do what we're called to do. We don't always want to obey the Lord. Sometimes we do want our own way, don't we? Right? It's a decision that we make. And it takes humility to put your faith in the person of Jesus Christ say that I will follow the Lord Jesus. And that is why faith is something that you exercise every single day. It takes faith every single day to follow the Lord Jesus. 
the nature of unbelief. It's a refusal to believe in the Lord Jesus as Savior because of pride. So then the Gospel of John not only speaks to us about the object of faith, speaks to us about the nature of faith, but also speaks to us about the expectation of faith. With regard to the expectation of faith, of what we might expect when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, with that expectation that comes from our faith in the Lord Jesus, there's also there's a cost. And related to the topic of the nature of unbelief, we see in the Gospel of John spurious or inauthentic faith, feeble faith. We see that example in John 2.23. tells us that now when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus did not, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So you have here people who are believing in Jesus on account of the signs, the miracles that he's performing. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, later on, Jesus will say, I think specifically to the religious teachers, that even if you don't believe in me, believe in the works so that you may know that I am who I say that I am. So you have a group of people who believe in Jesus on account of the signs that he does, but it says that he will not entrust himself to them. Why is that? Because he knew what was in man. He knew what was in their hearts. And the only reason why Jesus would not entrust himself to these particular individuals is because they actually didn't have genuine faith. We see that example also in John chapter 6. Jesus had fed a crowd of 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish, and they continued to follow him. And Jesus has an exchange of words teaches them about who he is. I'm the bread of life. You must digest me. You must believe in me. I must be your life in order to receive eternal life. And they begin to grumble about his words. They begin to dispute about his words. You get the impression that they are becoming increasingly angry over, what the, word, over the words of Jesus. And then the chapter concludes by telling us that many of them, many of them that are even called disciples, not his inner circle of 12 disciples, but outside of those 12, there were other disciples that they walked away from Jesus. So what we learn about faith, about genuine saving faith, is that genuine saving faith is a faith that endures. Faith, genuine saving faith, is a faith that commits to lifelong discipleship and never stops following Jesus. Of course, you might have your ups and downs, but the general trajectory of your life has to be one of discipleship, and that shows genuine saving faith. But spurious, inauthentic, feeble kind of faith doesn't show that lifelong discipleship. In fact, it tries to change the terms of the contract. Right, so say you're at a dealership. You find a brand new car that you want. You sit down with a salesman. You go over 
the details. He presents to you a contract. Here's the car, $30,000. Here's how, how many years you're going to be paying. Here's the payment each month. Here's the penalties for not paying and all the different details. But somebody with inauthentic faith will say, I don't really like the terms. I don't really like the price. How about we make it $5,000 car? How about we make the years of repayment just six months? And how about there's no penalty for not paying? How about that? But the salesman will just kick you out the door. You try to negotiate in that way. But spurious faith sees the contract that God gives. Here's what you can expect. Eternal life, grace, mercy, forgiveness for all your sins, past, present, and future. Future glory. These are all the things that you can expect. But here's the cost. Your life. And the signature on the dotted line is your faith. But spurious faith says, I don't really like the contract, God. Instead of getting my life, how about we share 50-50 or better? How about 70-30 or how about 90 and 10? How about there is no penalties? How about I get everything and you get 10% or 5% of my life? Maybe I'll go to church once a week, do the right thing, but I still get to live my life the way I want to. I think the Gospel of John is clear. That is not genuine saving faith. Genuine saving faith accepts the terms of the contract, that mean, meaning that the expectation is that you would lay down your life and follow Jesus, and Jesus becomes your life. Jesus is your life. The question is, do you want to follow the Live Your Best Life Now program and spend eternity in misery? Or do you want to follow the Lifelong Discipleship program and have obstacles, struggles from time to time, but will lead to great reward later? And lastly, with regards to the expectation of faith, there's the expectation of seeing the glory of God. I get this from John chapter 11. In John chapter 11, we have Jesus who hears about his friend Lazarus who has become deathly ill. And Jesus, instead of going to Lazarus, allows Lazarus to die. Four days later, he travels to see the tomb of Lazarus. His sister, Lazarus' sister, Mary, comes. They talk. Then Martha comes. And her and Jesus talk. And she says, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Nevertheless, I know that if you ask for anything, God will give it to you. And Jesus tells her, your brother will rise again. Not quite understanding what Jesus is getting at. She says, I know that he will rise again on the last day. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Everyone who believes in me, though they die, yet shall they live. And everyone who believes in me and they still and they live shall never die. Do you believe this? And she says, yes. I believe that you are the Son of God. And they go travel together to the tomb and still not quite getting it, still kind of doubting. She, he tells the people, remove the stone. And, G, and Martha says, 
but if you remove the stone, Jesus, it's just going to be an odor. He's been dead for four days. And Jesus, how does he respond? He says, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Didn't I tell you? In other words, he said this before. When did he say that before? He said that in their first conversation, though differently. He said to her, you will, your brother will rise again. That he is the resurrection and the life. That anyone who believes in him will never die. And he raises Lazarus out of the grave. And you know what? In that moment when Martha saw of the glory of Jesus Christ, of Christ, Jesus Christ is greater than the glory that even Moses saw when he desired to see the glory of God. Because here's the person of Jesus Christ. Now, there was two crowds there. There was Martha, who believed in Jesus, and I think saw something differently than the crowds who witnessed the miracle and then believed in Jesus on account of the miracle. What Martha witnessed in that moment was the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Jesus manifesting who he was. She saw his dignity, his eternal worth. She saw his holiness. She saw his supreme authority, even over life and death. In that moment, she did see the glory of God. And that is what we can expect as well. Anyone who believes in Jesus and follows Jesus and has this close relationship with Jesus is a person who also desires to see the glory of Jesus one day. You know, that's even Jesus' prayer for you and for me. When he's talking with his disciples in the upper room moments before his death, Jesus' prayer to the Father is, Father, I desire that these may be with me where I am to see my glory. Christ's desire for you is to be with Jesus and to see his glory. The Lord wants us to see his glory. And that should be our desire as well, to see the glory of Jesus Christ. Faith is central to the Christian life. Faith is what sustains your life because it's what saves your life through Jesus Christ. It's what will sustain you and it's what will one day bring you to the place where Jesus is to see his glory. And so when we think about the object of faith, namely that being the person of Jesus Christ, Right, let us fight against any tendency to treat Jesus or to see Jesus as an acquaintance that you might see once in a while. Let us fight against any tendency to treat Jesus as someone that you work with. But Jesus must be your life. That means that Jesus must be closer to you than a brother or sister, or parent, or spouse. Jesus is your life. And so let us pursue him as our life. Let us see him as our Lord and Savior. Let us see him as the one who has given us salvation. And let us live every day by faith. Let us strive to live each and every day by faith. Live by faith 
as you go to work. Live by faith in your marriage. Live by faith in your singleness. Live by faith as you raise your children. Live by faith as you serve the bride of Christ, as you fellowship with the saints. Live by faith when you are alone and no one is looking. The faith that saved you is the faith that is transforming you. And it is the faith that will sustain you and one day bring you to the place where Jesus is to see his glory. This morning we have another opportunity to exercise our faith in the Lord Jesus. We exercise our faith, and I hope that you see you're coming here this morning to worship the Lord Jesus, to pray, and to hear from his word as an act of faith. But we also get to exercise our faith as we take communion together. So if you haven't yet, there are these little packets in the back table. So if you haven't picked one up yet, feel free to, uh, to grab one right now. But taking communion is, is an act of faith. Not in the same way that we place our faith in Jesus Christ and receive eternal life. But taking communion, taking the bread and the cup is a way that we can confirm or affirm this faith that we have in the Lord Jesus. Affirming that Jesus is the Son of God. That his body was beaten and bruised for our sake. That his blood was shed for the remission of our sins. Even as we take this meal, it is also a way that we exercise our faith, placing our faith upon Jesus as the one who will one day return, who will come for his bride, who will take us up with him to be where he is, where we can take this banquet meal together and also see his glory. That's what this represents. And so, regardless of of what your week has been like, regardless of what sins perhaps you've been struggling with this week. Remember the Lord Jesus. Jesus died for every single one of your sins. There is forgiveness. So you can come before the throne of grace even this very morning without fear of rejection. Because you've been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. So you can take this meal in faith. Even as we take this meal, put your faith in the Lord Jesus. Exercise that faith. Trust in him. Confess whatever sins might be plaguing your conscience or your heart this morning. Confess them to the Lord and trust that you are forgiven as a son or daughter of God. So whether you are here as, as a member of the church or whether you're, you're attending, so regardless if you're a member or not, you are welcome to take this meal with us if you have professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your life is characterized by the repentance that God requires and you have received baptism. But if you have yet to place your faith upon the Lord Jesus Christ, I simply ask that you would not take this meal with us, not as a way of, of judgment uh, towards you, but only because the scriptures say that anyone who takes this meal in an unworthy manner, that is apart from faith, receives or drinks judgment upon themselves. But even as we take this meal, I pray and hope that you would consider 
the person of Jesus Christ. Consider what is at stake if you don't believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today can be the day of salvation. And I pray that it would be for you today. Let me read to us from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Read a passage of scripture, then we'll take the bread, I'll do the same, and we'll do the same with the cup, then I'll conclude with a word of prayer. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three it tells us, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Amen. So let's take this together. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. Let's take this together. Lord Jesus, you are the bread of life given to us so that if anyone eats of this bread, they may live forever. Jesus, we thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. We thank you for saving us for the wrath, from the wrath that once hung over our heads. And Lord, may we remember that the object of our faith is not just any person, but it is the person of Jesus Christ. That it is you, Lord, who is the Son of God, who died for us and rose again from the dead. Help us to live for you. Help us to continue to follow you. Help us every single day to put our faith in you. Help us to live by faith and not by sight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand. sing this last song uh, with the understanding of where and in who we have our faith, right? And where we stand. Jesus.
righteousness.